0: Hey there, my name is Ryan Hughley and I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our goal is to help as many people as possible meet and mature in the Jesus of the Bible. For more information about our ministry, visit our website at ridgeline.church. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing on the platform of your choice. Thanks again for listening and I pray God's spirit uses this message to revive you in a fresh way. I'm gonna sit today that's okay I'm getting both fatter and older and uh, I just been tired when I get home on Sunday so I'm gonna sit today and uh, and I do want to I, I don't know if it'll feel any different to you this morning feels a little different to me because I really I just want to share with you out of uh, my last week uh, some of you know that Last weekend, uh, I started what's going to be a two-year training, uh, being certified in spiritual direction. And so uh, I spent six days last week in Ashland, Ohio, which is just as beautiful and glamorous as it sounds. And uh, it's a real small rural area. Um, But there is a ministry called Healing Care Ministries that is based there out of Ashland Seminary. And uh, so I got to spend a week with about 20 people, 19 people who will be uh, in this cohort with me uh, over the next two years. So four times over the next 12 months, uh, I'm gonna go out for one of these six-day intensive residencies. And uh, so it was a week of, of training and equipping and also these experientials. And, um, and it was an amazing week. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how to fully capture it yet in words. Um, But I have been asked, like, so what is spiritual direction? Um, And so really it it boils down to two things. It's about being a guide to help people recognize God's work in their present moment and then how to respond appropriately to that. And and that's something I, I just, I think the longer I guess that I pastor and then I guess the longer I walk with Jesus myself, the more I see how necessary that is that it's just really easy for us to miss the fact that God is actually active and present with us all of the time. And I think especially after the last 16 months that have been um, so difficult for all of us, it's been really easy at times to not be able to see God in our midst, right? And some of us come in this morning and we're still really struggling to see God. God working in our midst. And so spiritual direction is something that dates back to like the third, fourth century with the desert mothers and fathers who laughed and went out to the wilderness to be with God and then to come back in to serve Jesus. But people would also come out and uh, it's actually something that we see practiced throughout scripture as well. It's been very common throughout Catholicism, um, but it was lost for many, many years within Protestantism, which is kind of the stream that we swim in. But it's experiencing a resurgence um and it's been a tremendous blessing to me as i've been in spiritual direction for the last two years and so uh, it's something i think really can help me better care for our church uh and other pastors which i really care about uh, as well and so i've started into this two-year program and so when i think about and reflect back on this last couple of weeks like i so i've been in ministry now for 20-ish years and uh, i've been to an ungodly number of pastors conferences Pastor Tyler's been at most of them with me. They're by and large pretty awful. Um, it's like the most insecure environment you can imagine, okay? Uh, and so I'm super, I've gotten those super comfortable in that environment. Um, and so it's always like, oh, where do you pastor? How many people go to your church? What are you preaching right now? It's like the same three stupid questions over and over and over. And, uh, and so I went into this environment this week, and it was um, way different than that. And I was exceptionally uncomfortable for about 90% of the time. And, I, and one of the reasons that it was so uncomfortable to me was that it was like an entire week of being seen. And the truth is, most of us go through the majority of our days working so hard not to be seen. And at first, that might sound kind of weird, and I, I actually had to spend an immense amount of time wrestling with, I mean, Lord, I, I, like I, I've been doing this for so long. I literally sit in front of people, and I am seen. And I meet with people for counseling, and I am seen. And, and God had a lot to say to me this week that I really needed to hear. And, and one of those things was like, you're not seen. When I s- sit like this, what people see is, The gift that God's given me to teach, that's what you see. You don't see me in the midst of it. And when I sit with people in counseling, they're they're seeing counsel. They're not seeing me. And so this week, all of that was stripped away, and I just had to be seen. And I had to do all of these, for those of you that know me, at least for me, horribly uncomfortable exercises. Like, for instance, I had to do something called a soul terrain that I had to spend an entire session with my therapist talking about. That's how uncomfortable I was. Shut up, Why, you can't laugh about this, it was really hard for me. So what this was, was I had to draw a picture. Wait. That somehow captures the current state of my soul. It was terrible. The picture was objectively terrible. And then I had to live with the fear of, I had to talk to my group and present it, and then tell them why this horrible picture captures the current state of my soul. And then in God's irony, I had to go last. So a couple people went every day, I literally had to wait, I had to live with the weight of my show and tell art project all week long, and I went very, very last. And I cried sharing it more than anybody else. And this was primarily like 50 and 60-year-old women. And I cried so much more than any of these women when it finally came my, my turn to share. And so that, believe it or not, and no one's more shocked than me, that exercise was hugely, hugely impactful and healing for me, which I didn't think it was going to be, which is kind of like the MO of the whole week. But I just had this whole week of feeling very uncomfortable because of being seen. And so one of the things that I had to do is that we we had a 16-hour time of silence. So no TV, no phone, no music, by myself, in silence for 16 hours, which is the longest I've ever gone being silent, I think. And, uh, and so I was was that was the big thing I brought in to that time was, Lord, why am I struggling so much with being seen? And then for whatever it is, I was sitting and I was reflecting on that and praying through that. It was like God dropped this reminder of this story in John chapter 8 into my head. And so I spent the rest of the night thinking about this. And I just want to talk a little bit about this story today. It's in John chapter 8. And uh, it's verses 1 through 11, uh, which is what we're going to look at. So if you have a Bible and you want to go there, you can. All the scripture is going to be on the screen. So if you want to just sit and listen this morning, you can do that as well. Um, If you are looking at your Bible, one thing that you might notice is in almost every English translation of scripture, there are brackets around John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And the reason that those brackets are there is there's an indication, if you look in the footnote, that, that scholars are pretty aligned on the fact that John 8, 1 through 11 was not in the earliest manuscripts that we have. But what they are also aligned in is that um, this is a historical story. This did happen. And and early scribes who had the responsibility, again, of of capturing with authority and authenticity what Scripture said and then translating it down through time, they were so hell-bent on the fact that like this happened and this matters, and so we're going to leave it in the text. And so there is probability that this was not in the earliest manuscripts, but this story did happen. And it's this incredible example to us of being seen and and why Jesus is is, is safe for us to be seen with. And so I want to look at this story together. So it starts like this in John chapter 8. The first two verses say this. Jesus went across to Mount Olives, but he was soon back in the temple again. Swarms of people came to him. He sat down and taught them. So there there was this pattern to Jesus' ministry during this time in Jerusalem, where during the day, he would sit in the temple, which was like the very epicenter of spiritual life for them. The temple was the physical representation of God's presence on earth. And so it was like church to the hundredth degree. All of spiritual life centered around for the Jewish people, for the temple. And so during the day, Jesus would sit in the temple and he would teach. And then at night, uh, Jesus was homeless. If you don't know, he didn't during his three-year earthly ministry. Uh, toward the latter uh, years of that, he didn't have a place that he lived. And so with his disciples, he would withdraw to the Mount of Olives, and he would essentially like camp out there. And so Jesus has done that, and he's come back into the temple. That's that. So he's sitting in the temple. Throngs of people are coming to hear him teach. Jesus. Uh, The scriptures always comment on the authority with which he taught and how um, confounding and compelling that was to the people who came and listened. So that's the setting. Jesus is in the temple square. That is, again, the very epicenter of spiritual life. And then this incredible interruption takes place. Look at verse 3. The religion scholars and Pharisees led in a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They stood her in plain sight of everyone. And they said, teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses, in the law, gives orders to stone such persons. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so they could bring charges against him. So I just want you to like really think about this experience and what this would have been like. So Jesus is sitting like this, people are listening and all of a sudden they hear this like commotion coming in the back. And the Pharisees who we are uh, so prone to like look down on and to judge and the truth is they were in so many ways just like us. But all of a sudden, the religious leaders of the day are dragging in this woman that the text in every translation and in Greek that you read says this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And there's some kids in the room, so I'm not going like, to get into the details of what that means. But like, think about how humiliating that would have been for this woman. It wasn't like she got busted, oh, we heard that you committed adultery, and so now you're coming to see Jesus. No, she got busted in the act. And this is like a super gross situation, because what is not always super obvious in the text, but is pretty readily agreed upon, is that these religious leaders had basically set up a sting operation to bust this woman. So there was something about her that they knew that we can catch her in this, and isn't it interesting that they don't bring the man they just bring the woman? Ladies, I mean like some things of like it's it's not new, okay? <laughs> This is just a horribly unfair system. So somehow the religious leaders they set up this situation where the they get to show up, catch this woman in the act, the, the the guy basically like gets to sneak out the back door while they drag her, most likely clutching for a sheet or anything to cover herself with, as they drag her through the city streets and they take her, most likely naked, into the very center of spirituality in their culture. And they drag her into the room, and they bring her in front of everyone to stand in front of Jesus. So imagine what she longs for in that moment. The one thing that she wants is to not be seen. Because she's being seen for something that she's done. She's being seen. I mean, it's just an unbelievable narrative about shame. And the truth is, I think that we all live with the exact same desire that this woman would have had in this moment. I think it's fascinating that she's not named. I think she's not named because she's us. We all know what it is to feel some degree of this woman, this longing to not be seen. And we go to incredible lengths in order to hide from God and in order to hide from one another. I wrote down a couple of ways that I think that we do this. And so see if you can't find yourself somewhere in here. Some of us seek to hide through our performance. So this is is like the epitome of religion. I don't want to be seen in my faults. I don't want to be seen in my sin. I don't want to be seen in my shame. And so I am going to perform as perfectly as I can. I'm going to obey all the rules. I'm going to do all the things that people think that good people, righteous people do. And I'm going to hide behind that performance. Others of us seek to pretend. Literally project something that we are not. In order to gain the approval of people in our lives. And I think that we can go to extraordinary lengths to do this, where you just genuinely live your whole life being someone that is not the person God made you to be, all in an attempt to not be seen. And then I think some of us don't maybe want to live with the pressure of, of all that, and so we just avoid any environment and any relationship in which we might actually be seen. And I think this is one of the primary reasons why in a recent study, over 70% of Americans said that they don't feel like they have anyone they can actually talk to. That's like just one of the most heartbreaking realities that I can imagine. But inside of us, is the same longing that was inside that woman in this moment. I just don't want to be seen. I want to be out of this. So notice what happens next. In verse 6, the other thing, let me just say this real quick. (laughs) Ultimately, what's so messed up about this situation is it's not even about the woman, ultimately. Did you notice that? Like these religious scholars, they set this whole thing up just to try to incriminate Jesus in something he was going to say. So they were willing to shame this woman publicly to set up this whole thing to bust her in the act just so they could try to trip up Jesus. And so they they say, Jesus, this is what the law says. We caught this woman in the act. What do you say? And notice what happens. I think this is fascinating. In verse 6, it says, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. And they kept at him, badgering him. He straightened up and said, the sinless one among you go first throw the stone. And bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. So isn't it amazing? So on the one hand, the, the, the way they're trying to trap Jesus is they think they have him backed into a corner. Because if, if Jesus says, well, I think that this woman should be shown mercy. I don't think that she should be stoned for this. Well, then they would have been like, well, then you're violating the Jewish law. And then he's in trouble with all the Jewish people. But if he says, you're right, we should go ahead and stone her because you guys caught her in the act. Well, then he's in trouble with Rome, who was the legal government of the day, because it was not legal inside of Rome's Rome's governmental system for someone to be stoned for this. So they think like we have got him backed into a corner. No matter what he says, he's in trouble with somebody. And this whole thing with him is going to be over. And so how big of a baller is Jesus that in response to their question, he says nothing. What do you say, Jesus? And then he bends down and he starts drawing in the dirt. It's pretty amazing. And there's all there's for 2000 years there's been speculation about what did Jesus write in the dirt? I grew up being told like in Sunday school that he was writing their sins in the dirt, which that's awesome if that happened, the text doesn't tell us. Some scholars believe that he was basically writing out his his legal argument. In the dirt so we don't know and when scripture doesn't tell us certain things it's usually for a reason it's because it's not ultimately super important but what we do know is that Jesus is like I'm not gonna be baited in to this with you and so instead he takes a much more subversive approach to addressing their question he doesn't answer them at all he says all right well you who are without sin Go ahead and throw the first stone. Which, of course, no one, even the Pharisees, was not so arrogant that they would have been like, all right, here it comes. Because they know. (laughs) Yeah, we we keep rules really well, but we are not without sin. And so this woman, I I, I picture this woman like cowering, just like in this image. Bracing for these stones to come. But then she hears this weird sound. It's like, poof, poof, poof. as one by one, these stones that were going to mean her execution are dropped to the ground. Because none of these men was without sin. And so then the text goes on, and it says, Hearing that, notice how they respond. They walked away, <clears throat> one after another, beginning with the oldest. And the woman was left alone. And then Jesus stood up and spoke to her. Woman, which was not like an offensive, like, woman. Like, that was, it's not that kind of thing, okay? It's a warm woman, just so you know. He says woman where are they does no one condemn you she says no one master and notice Jesus says neither do i go on your way from now on don't sin like what do you think she felt when jesus responds to her like that there had to be some part of her that was just like what is what just happened She's having a really weird day. (laughs) She goes from this adulterous moment. Men come barging into the room, drag her out into the street, into the center of spirituality in her culture, sit her in front of Jesus that she's heard the whispers. Like, some people say this is the Messiah. She's there. She thinks that she's about to die. All of a sudden, after Jesus has done finger painting in the dirt... These people all walk away, and it's just her and Jesus. And she has just heard Jesus say to her that he does not condemn her. And then he invites her into a new way of life that is absent of the sin that has marked her for so long. She must have felt shock. She had to have been somewhat confused because of the whirlwind of this moment. She also must have felt immense gratitude. Because she anticipated condemnation, but instead, she was invited into relationship. And the truth is, as I said a few minutes ago, we are all this woman. We all have this awareness inside of us that we are not what we should be. And many of us have grown up hearing messages that reinforce this sermon in our souls that says, you are not enough. You are not what you should be. And if people knew, if you were seen, you would be rejected. You would be condemned. You would not be loved. And in this moment, Jesus declares war on that lie. Because he says to her, I don't condemn you. And I want you to know this morning that Jesus would speak over you. I don't condemn you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what has been done to you, no matter what has been spoken over your life, regardless of what you believe, Jesus would say, I don't condemn you. I'd invite you to relationship with me. And so I, I walked away from this the other night, and I can't stop thinking about this. And it's this like very simple big idea that Jesus is our safe place to be seen. And that's true for all of us. Jesus is our safe place to be seen. And the truth is, I think that this story has pretty significant implications, not not just for like you and me on an individual basis, which I do think is really important, that individually we would all really understand that Jesus is our safe place to be seen. But it has implications for us. We are getting ready to enter into a new season as a church where we essentially have to to basically relaunch our church. We did that once. COVID shut us down, jacked us all up. We've been back like sad and weird for the last nine months, eight months, (laughs) which is okay. But Jesus is not done. And it matters. that we be a safe place and I hate to say this out loud but most churches are not safe places most churches are like those Pharisees and they are not like Jesus and we will not be that church and so the question then is how can we actually go about making Ridgeline a safe place And as I thought about this a little bit yesterday, a couple of things came to mind. And the the first one is this. We have to make three choices, okay? Number one is this. We have to choose journey over destination. We have to choose journey over destination. And by that I mean there are essentially two kinds of churches. What I want to call a bounded set church and a center set church. And I, I want to explain this a little. This was so helpful for me. I got to hear about this a little bit this week. And, and I was listening to this man named Terry Wardle, who founded this program that I'm in, uh, explain this. And it was the first time that I felt like I had language for who I think we are and have been for the last two years. But, but I didn't know. And so as a result, I've kind of had this thing. But here's what I mean. Like, we, we're like a super jacked up bunch, OK? If you're new, that's what you've like, stumbled into this morning, OK? <laughs> And so I've had this thing for the last three years like, golly, are we actually a church? I don't know if what we do counts. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the thing is like, we're growing. And I think as messy as it is, we're becoming more like Jesus. And so I've had this thing of like, well, I don't know if it counts, but if it doesn't, I just, I want to keep doing this. And so I've been like, Am I starting a cult? I don't. I hope I'm not. <laughs> so this really helps me, and I think this helps give give language to who we are as a church. Okay, so most churches are a bounded set church, and this is what that means. There is very clear in and out, and so the way that you are in is you believe the way we say you have to believe, and you behave the way we say you have to behave. And you comply in the ways we tell you to comply, and you're gonna serve exactly the way we tell you to serve. And if you do those things, then you're in. But if you don't do those things, you are out. Raise your hand if you've ever been a part of a bounded set church. Me too. Hopefully you're not like, wasn't that what we are? You're missing the point. Most churches are bounded set churches, and that's really unfortunate, because when we look at Jesus, we do not see that. I mean, we just saw an example that was like, this woman, like, doesn't know which way is up at the end of this, but she's still been invited into a relationship, and from church history, we, we do have reason to believe this woman continued to follow Jesus, and she became a significant follower of Jesus, So there's another way to think about church which is much more in line with the way of Jesus which is being a center set church. And this is a better picture of that. So those arrows represent us. And if you notice those arrows are all different degrees of distance from the center from the cross from Jesus. But what matters is that you are pointed toward Jesus. So we all have different areas of maturity. We're in different places. We have different understandings of theology. We have different understandings of the scripture. We're all in different places in that. But what matters, what, what, what is in at Ridgeline is that your trajectory is pointed toward Jesus. But you need to know but to be a center-set church means saying yes to being pretty messy all the time. And the good news is, that's okay. It's a pain to pastor. Because <laughs> it's just clear to be like, well, you broke the rule, you're out. But this means just being like, whoo. I guess just keep going toward Jesus. (laughs) But for those of you who have been here for a while, my hope is that you would say, yeah, that's pretty much been my experience here. And that's definitely where we're headed. What matters here is that we move toward Jesus, which means we choose journey over destination. If you're on the journey, you're one of us. You may not be sure what to do with the Bible. You may not be sure what to do with Jesus. But if you are moving toward the cross, you're with us. That's what it takes to be a safe place. Secondly, And I think these last two kind of fall behind this other one. We have to choose love over judgment, which is really hard for me because I am so judgy about everything, big things, small things. Tyler says all the time, I've got an opinion about everything. He says that about him, but it's for sure true of me. We have an opinion together. We are like Captain Planet. Our powers combine. (laughs) We, we are a judgy bunch, let me tell you. And um, <laughs> I hate that about myself. Because I want to be the kind of person who loves more than he judges. In the big and the small. And if the the American Christian church has been absent of one thing the last 16 months, make no mistake, it's love. And Jesus said, it's the most important thing. We have been absent, the most important thing. And the good news is we have an opportunity as a church to model a better way. So we have to choose journey over destination. We have to choose love over judgment. And then thirdly, and this is each of us individually, we have to choose honesty over self-righteousness. We have to choose honesty over self-righteousness. You know what the reality is? You and I are not that great. We're just not. Like, we're amazing in the sense that we are created in the image of God. And I want you to know that, and this sounds trite and simple, but God loves you so much who you are right now. And he made you amazing. One of the most incredible things about the church, and Paul teaches about this in in Corinthians, is that he he takes all of us, and we're all like jacked up but beautiful and have these unique gifts and personalities that God's given us, and somehow God weaves this together like this beautiful mosaic that moves his kingdom forward. And that's amazing. But we're just not as perfect and put together as we pretend. And when we start to believe that we are, then we become self-righteous. And so what we need to do is we need to be honest. We need to be honest with ourselves about what's broken. We need to be honest with God. And we need to be honest with one another. This is a place where it is okay not to be okay. And it's actually essential that we be honest about what's not okay. Otherwise, we can't be a safe place. And if Jesus is a safe place to be seen, then his church must also be a safe place to be seen. And the reality is the more that we experience Jesus as our safe place, each of us individually, the more we become a safe place as well. And so I want to ask you again to close your eyes and to just sit back, put your phone down, your bio, anything you might have in your hand. I just want you to sit for a moment with your eyes closed. And I want you to listen to something that I know for a fact God our Father would speak over you. And I know that he would speak this over you because the Bible says that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation, that through faith, somehow we are woven into Christ. And so what that means is when God the Father looks at you, guess who he sees? He sees Christ. So these words that the Father spoke over Christ, he would speak over you. And so I don't know what has been spoken over you in the past, and I don't know what your experience has led you to believe, and I don't know the exact condition in which you come into this place, but I want you to hear the Word of God being spoken directly to your soul this morning. this is what God would say to you, does say to you. He says, you are my child. You are chosen by me. You are marked by my love. You are the pride of my life. You are my child. You are chosen by me. You are marked by my love. You are the pride of my life. You are my child. You were chosen by me. I have marked you with my love. And you are the pride of my life. You know that The Father spoke those words over Jesus before he performed a single miracle. Before he preached a single sermon. Before he did anything. The Father spoke that over him. There's one thing I'm certain of this morning. It's that we all come in here with this weight that we. there's so much more we could be and could be doing. Could be praying more. Could be reading my Bible more. I could be serving more. I could be more Jesus-y. I could be more... All these different things and you know what all that stuff's probably true but it doesn't change that despite that the father would say to you this morning you are my child you were chosen by me you are marked by my love you are the pride of my life We you open your eyes for just a sec? I, uh, <clears throat> I want you to know this because I can't keep doing this job if I have to hide. But I've really wrestled to stay a pastor for the last two years. And I've said like in passing, like kind of joke, Oh, I've thought about quitting so many times, but beneath the joke, is a significant truth and the reason for that is like I look at where we are as the church the big C Church like the American church the worldwide church and it just seems so far from what Jesus intended and so I just have so much over the last couple years just been like I just don't think I want to do this anymore And I've seen things even in our own church that I've thought like, I just don't wanna do this anymore. But I had this really amazing experience on my last day before I came home. We were being led through this like multi-sensory, contemplative experience where we were going through our senses one at a time. And and being and it's, it was an exercise in trying to be present, which is so hard, isn't it? Like how how little do we feel present where we are? We're always thinking about the past or the future. So this was an exercise in trying to be present because God is in the present. So we were leading, being led through the first three, and so I was sitting. I brought a picture. We put that picture up of the inside of this church. It's like being at Hogwarts all week. It was amazing. And. Uh, So I was sitting in this old Presbyterian church, and it was beautiful. And I was sitting just just over here in that left corner. And had my eyes closed, and we started with hearing. So just eyes closed, just trying to hear everything that was taking place. And uh, so I could hear this, like, super old HVAC unit and cars going by outside. And in this moment of silence, this woman sneezed so loud, I almost... Had a heart attack and died. I felt so bad for her too because I think she wanted to die in the moment. And then uh, this woman, Summer, who was who was leading this moment, she said, "Okay, now now open your eyes, or keep your eyes closed. I want you to smell." So I'm in like this old church, and every old church smells exactly the same. I don't know if they come with like this particular air freshener. But it smelled like every old church that I've ever been in. It smelled like this combination of like old wood and cement and for sure carpet, like old carpet. And then she said, okay, now now open your eyes and I just want you to look around and take this all in. And I had the weirdest experience when I did that because I had this like real strong emotional memory that came over me and i don't have a ton of emotional memories from my childhood because i think because a lot of it was not super pleasant and uh and i had this memory of this little methodist church that is the first church memory that i have just after my biological father had left and we moved to northern california my mom and my brother and i and our lives were just like very I mean, just imagine that there was a lot that was going on. And uh, my grandfather's mental health was very poor, and he would take his life uh, right around this same time. But as I opened my eyes the other day, and I was looking around, I was like, oh my gosh, this, the, the way that this place sounds, and it looks, and it smells, reminds me of this first church experience that I had. And what I remembered as a four-year-old boy was that I felt safe in that place. Because something about that place reminded me of God's presence. And as a four-year-old, maybe, maybe only then, I felt safe. And so as I come into this week with all of this stuff in the back of my mind about like, I don't even know why I'm here. I don't even think I wanna be a pastor anymore. God said to me, this is why you love church. Because it was your first safe place. So unless God tells me otherwise. I'm not going to stop giving my life to this. And you shouldn't either. And if church has not been a safe place for you in the past, I'm sorry. Deeply sorry. But it can be moving forward. Because Jesus is our safe place to be seen. And so, Father God, we pray that you would make us that kind of church. And in order for that to be true, Jesus, we we need each of us individually. We need to experience you as our safe place. So, Holy Spirit, I just, I don't know how you want to do that in this moment, but I pray that you would do something in our souls, even in this very moment, that we would just sense and know and feel. That you don't speak condemnation over us, that you invite us into transforming, redeeming, healing relationship through faith in Jesus. And Lord, you know where we're all at? You know where our maturity and immaturity lies. You know where our knowledge and our confusion is. And I thank you that we're all in these very diverse places, but just I pray that we would be pointed toward you. And that as we experience you to be our safe place, that we collectively would become the same. Lord, some of us, all of us, carry significant wounds. Many of us aren't even aware of the ones that are there. So I just ask that this would be a place where hurting people heal. You're doing that in me. And I believe you're doing that in us. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen.